What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Hello, everybody. This is Nurse Ellie from Forensic Nurse Files Podcast. And Nurse Ree. Hey, Ree. How's it going? Good. How are you? All is well over here. Just happy to be back doing another episode with you about something we love. Just trying uh-huh. to beat the summer well, heat. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us, and we hope that you find the podcast interesting. You guys have any ideas, any cases you want us to dissect, something you want us to talk about that we haven't covered, or maybe you have a story you want to tell. Maybe you have a personal story you want to tell. Just reach out to us and we'll see what we can do about that. Yeah, we would love to have real life stories from people who are survivors of mm-hmm. crimes that have been through the process. Uh, we would love to hear your story and share it with others if you're willing Yeah, or even other sane nurses out there. What drew you to this field? How'd you get here? What do you think of it? How was your training? Just whatever you can think of that you would love to talk about, reach out. So we're going to go a little off our beaten path today. (laughs) We're just going to impromptu a podcast just talking about some of the challenges that we're faced with on a daily basis. I would say almost a daily basis. And what I'm when I'm saying challenges, we talked about how it was stressful for us in some days, you know, it sometimes became emotional. A lot of nurses end up, they burn out basically on this type of nursing because it's, um, it's exhausting mentally, physically. And it, um, we talked about that, how we deal with it. But now we just want to talk about some of the challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis with our job, not with us personally, and being able to complete our job. And so first of all, I'm going to start with where most of the patients come in. They either come in through the emergency department or they come directly to the forensics unit or start center, whatever, um, wherever the forensic nurse examiner may work. So for, for those facilities that go through the emergency department, that can be a challenge. The first challenge, because what, when I say challenge, meaning we may not be able to give that patient the type of care that they need or deserve. So let's say we have a patient that comes in for who's a victim of a crime. You know, maybe it's a, a, a stabbing, maybe it's a domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, whatever it is. If we're not notified that there's a patient that was a victim of crime, we're never going to see him mm-hmm. unless we happen to be looking at the tracker in the emergency department and we see, oh, there's a patient in here that looks like they were just physically assaulted by their intimate partner. And then we'll go over and we'll talk to them. So that's one of the challenges that we face. And I don't know how many cases that we have missed, but I'm certain that um, that a lot of them are missed. Have you had that problem ever in any place that you've worked, Ree? Oh, yeah. Sometimes 
I would come in and I would just be scrolling the tracker. You know, you're not like living on the tracker, right? Because no one could stare at the computer 24-7 for their whole 12-hour shift. So you you look at it, you come back, you go do something, then you come back and look at it again. Sometimes I'll come back and look at it and I'm like, oh, there's a patient that's been there for like 45 minutes and nobody has called me. And so in a lot of these instances, you want to see your victims or your patients as soon as they get there because the more time that passes by, the less likely they are to report and want the services. Everybody knows that emergency rooms take a long time, right? That's not a secret. But the more time that goes by without that patient seen, the more frustrated they're going to become and the less likely they are going to be to want to take your services and to even report the incidents. And so when we see these patients, it's not a quick thing, right? We have to notify law enforcement. We have to call whatever respective service needs to be involved. Like these things take time. So if you can see the patient as soon as, even when they're still in the waiting room, sometimes we go see them and, you know, we still ensure their privacy. We do all of that. We'll take them somewhere private and talk to them. But the minute that they are waiting, you want to have a conversation with them and, and that's just benefit them and for everybody involved in the situation. And not everybody wants our services, but we at least want to be given the opportunity to offer our services to somebody. Right. And that's one of, that's one of our challenges. And yeah, another challenge when it comes to um, not just to the, those that come through the emergency department, but in any facility in which you may work as a, as one of these forensic nurses is multiple patients at the same time, sometimes related to one incident, sometimes multiple, like there was, and a lot of the time we work independently. We work by ourselves. Yeah. A lot of time at a time, one nurse on at a time. There was one time I had, I'm trying to remember, I had a sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I had a domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I had a, a multi, I can't remember how many, four or five child abuse. Mm-hmm. I had an assault. I had all these things and like elder abuse, something, I don't know. It was all mm-hmm. these at once. And so who do you help first? Exactly. You got to go talk to all of them. You can't just leave yep. someone waiting for 10 hours while you're doing a sexual assault or something, seeing the yep. other ones. So you want to go talk to all of them. So we have mm-hmm. to basically triage our patients and we have to be really good with um, deciding who, who needs to be seen first. So we would go, at least I'm going to tell you how I do it. And then you can read how you do it. So let's just say I have, let's just say I have three patients. Okay. I've got a domestic violence. I got a sexual assault and I've got a, um, a, a beat up assault. Someone was assaulted on the street. Okay. I'm going to go over and I'm going to talk to all three patients. They all came in at once. Introduce myself. I'm going to offer the services and right there. I'll know if they want them or not. So they don't always want them. So no, I don't want your service. Let's just say the domestic violence says, no, I don't want your services. I, you know, it's my husband. We've been married a long time. Sometimes he just drinks too much and he gets mad and we, we offer resources and or advocacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we can just document on that. And now I have two patients. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and the sexual assault I know is going to take a long time. So I'll go see what, you know, the order in which you see them just depends. You know, I can't really give you the order of how I would see them. Because it depends right. on what, you know, the circumstances involved, you know, they're specific right. to each incident. So then it's like, okay, well, let me go see the sexual assault patient. Find out what happened. Oh, okay. So it happened uh, two hours ago. So I know there's evidence. 
you know, and, and the patient says, you know what? Yes, I do want an exam. So now I can call law enforcement. I can call an advocate and I can go see the other patient again, not necessarily in that order. And while she's getting medically cleared, I could be doing something else, right? He or she, or they could say it happened, you know, a, a year ago. So there's no evidence. So, you know, you're not going to be doing a full exam. You might be doing the, um, a report and calling law enforcement, but you won't necessarily be doing collecting any evidence because it's been a year. Then you can go see the other patient, the assault. Oh yeah. It was just like some guy ran up to me on the street and, you know, hit, hit me upside the head or whatever. Right. And so you take a pic, they have a bruise on their head. You take a picture of the bruise and you get their information, give them resources and you're gone. So you finish that one. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but again, it's always different, but it can be challenging because let's just say you have five people that have evidence and they want an exam. You're going to try to see if you can call someone else in to help you probably, but that's challenging. <laughs> it is. Are you crying? Yeah. You cry. You'll you say, cry. Oh, why did I call off sick today? Damn it. <laughs> I knew I should have called off sick. I could feel it. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. No, it's so true. You know? And so I think I'm ex- super similar with you in that I would just go see all of them. And then depending on whether they accept or decline, then you know whether you can go from there. Exactly like you said, all of these instances, you have to notify law enforcement. So whether they accept or decline law enforcement, if someone comes in the ER and says that they've been any kind of assaulted, someone has put their hands on them, someone has done something to them, you have to notify law enforcement. So all of these patients are still going to need law enforcement. And let's say they're coming from the same area or different areas, you're going to have to notify all the different law enforcement agencies, right? Mm -hmm. So that can help you dictate who you're going to see first, because maybe your sexual assault is coming from somewhere far and their law enforcement agency is far and they're going to take a little bit longer to come see them. You might not be able to get approval for your kit. So that patient's going to have to sit as much as you don't want your sexual assault patients to sit. They might have to. Sometimes they have Um, to sit. You give them that opportunity, you know, but it's challenging mm -hmm. when you get, and that happens a lot. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. You'll have nobody, nobody, no patients. And all of a sudden, bam, Oh, it's time to go home after a 12 hour shift in about an hour and bam, here come a whole bunch of patients. So, Oh yeah. I've, I've had like four gunshots waiting, a sexual assault waiting, a domestic, all at the same time. And you're just like, for a newer nurse in forensics, it can be very overwhelming. And you're, you don't know what to do. And you're like calling your supervisor. I mean, I've had Nurse Joy come in and help me before. Like when I've been backed up, she was a savior for me a few times. A lot of times these forensic nurses were very tight knit. So if you're calling people and, and they're off from, because a lot of people, this is a second job. So if they're off for the, from their second job, they'll come help because we understand. And if you're the one in that situation, you would want someone to come help. So you come help when someone else is in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're very tight. I think because of what we do, we, we have to be tight knit. So that's something that that's one of the, um, the other challenges, another one, and I'm not going to be the one to say all the challenges. <laughs> we probably can't think of them all. Another one is law enforcement. We work so closely with law enforcement and they are amazing. However, Amazing. they're also very busy and mm-hmm. sometimes it'll, we, let's say we, so for instance, a sexual assault exam, domestic or sexual assault exam to complete that exam, the evidence kit, it gets picked up by law enforcement. We have to get an authorization prior to completing the exam. So mm-hmm. that means law enforcement has to come and make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. They're so busy. Sometimes they are 
unable to respond. I've had it be over 12 hours before someone was able to respond. So they can't come to give that consent. So then you're left with, you know, kind of like, you know, do I just do the exam and assume they're going to give, you know, um, authorization for the kit? Um, or do I wait or something, you know what I mean? Like sometimes that can be challenging and then picking up evidence for those kits can be challenging. I've had evidence sit in a locker for days calling repeatedly. They're too busy to get the evidence, too busy to get the evidence, too busy to get the evidence. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if you faced any of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially for, to get approval. I feel like that is a huge challenge because you don't, if you do go ahead and just do the kit without approval, you know, obviously there's a chance that they're going to say no, but at the same time, if you go ahead and do the kit, law enforcement is going to have to talk to that patient and interview them outside of the hospital setting. Right. And a lot of times the victims don't want them coming to their house. So where else are they going to meet? Because you have to give the address, right? You give their personal address. So um, I feel like that's a huge problem um, if they're not able to make it to your facility or to your hospital to talk to the patient and get a feel of what happened. Because if they have to come to the the patient's house or the victim's house, they're more likely to just decline and say, I don't want to repeat. No, we lose patients that way. We lose a lot of, we lose patients through having to wait extended periods of time in the emergency department or at whatever facility, if there's other patients already there and from um, law enforcement not being there because they're, they're, they come in when they're most often they come in, they're ready to report. They've just been victimized. And mm-hmm. now time's passed and they just want to go home and they don't want to mm-hmm. deal with it. And they start to think of, you know, is this really what I want to do? Will this person come back and try to get me? Is it going to make it worse? All those um, mm-hmm. thoughts start flooding through their, their heads and it creates hesitancy. So we lose them. And that to mm-hmm. me is sad. Yeah. And also a lot of times the victims are in the ER and they're seeing patients in custody come through and then their head is really turning. Is my suspect or the perpetrator going to come through this emergency? And then it's just this cycle of anxiety and worry. And then they completely bail and elope. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another one of our challenges. Another one that um, is we have patients sometimes that are combative or under the influence. We had somebody who was under the influence of PCP in the office. So, so where I work, we don't have law enforcement or, you know, I'm talking like our nurses work alone and work alone 24 seven. Right. So in the picture in the middle of the night, you've got some patient who was a victim of a crime. And now all of a sudden the victim is, you know, you know, you know, starting to trip out on whatever drug that they've taken. And now they're kind of scary. And that is, that is scary. I can tell a scary incident. I won't tell it yet, but I'll tell it in a minute. But what, what have you ever had something like that happen? I have. Yeah. I'm lucky that where I am, the officers are not allowed to leave. If they bring a patient, they are staying the whole time with the patient. They are staying until the evidence is ready to be collected, until your exam room is clean, and until you're ready to get in your car so that you're not walking to your car alone. Before that, absolutely. Yeah. Even now, like even at my, I've had patients experience a mental health break in the exam room, 5150, and 
When we're suspicious that something will happen, law enforcement will be right outside the exam room. If we're not suspicious and something just breaks, we're able to just holler out the door and they'll be right there in an instance. But when they weren't in the facility, kind of like how you guys are, there are panic buttons that you can push. But even then, it's still extremely terrifying. Like you're you're fearing for your life in some instances. Yeah. So yeah, no, for sure. And so check this out. So where I work, there are two different panic buttons. Um, but one time they weren't working. And yeah, uh-huh. I'm telling you, talk about being scared shitless. Now, you think keep in mind that we are our facilities are all separate from main and main institutions, like not in the main hospital, they'll be somewhere else, you know, offsite or far away from, you know, a little bit further away. Um, but usually not in the same building. I don't know if ever. So what happened, you know, there's a reason that's so we can, you know, um, respect the privacy of our patients. So even if they start Mm -hmm. in the emergency department, they will end up with us, which is in a separate facility and Mm -hmm. you are completely a separate facility if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens is we're and we're working independently by ourselves, a nurse, all night long, and we get this patient again. We bring him over, and here we are in the middle of the night, and the, the, something doesn't work. Like the panic, there's no one around because it's the middle of the night or the weekend, even during the day. There's no one around. You can scream and yell all you want, and if your panic yeah. button works good, it still takes a minute for security to get there. It doesn't take long to kill somebody or render them unconscious. Right stab them, anything's a second. So it's very scary. So we had, um, we actually had, so, so we're separate. Are there, it doesn't say forensic services or SART center or anything on the door. Right. So it's just, you know, that's the address law enforcement knows and that for reasons, because we see patients who are victims, we see suspects, people get angry. They might want to come get information. Maybe it was a domestic violence. We have a patient in there and the uh, perpetrator is um, looking for them and they found if we're labeled, they know where we are. So when people come, sometimes they'll knock on the door and our doors, we have two doors. Our doors are locked at all times, supposed to be. And they'll come knock on the door. Well, we don't, we have peak holes, but we don't know, you know, if we don't know them, we're not supposed to let them in. So usually it's like law enforcement or somebody. So there was an incident um, and we've had a few of them, but there was one incident not that long ago where somebody knocked on the door And there was just happened to be another nurse there and she didn't look out and she opened the door and I was in the back office and all the, I see screaming and yelling and going off and I'm like, Oh my God. So the panic button didn't work. You know, there's no lock to the back office door. I don't know what's going on out there. And I'm try. I get a heavy object, our dryer for our subs. It's so heavy. And I, I thought I'm going to take this. I'm going to have to throw it at this person to save the nurse. And I didn't want to, I was scared for my own self. And so anyway, um, it all got handled and we got the, the panic button is fixed. We had, um, I put into, into effect a policy and procedure for safety and we got some security. So we have a lock on the back office door so we can lock ourselves in. We've got some measures in place now, but literally that person, uh, could have just come in and, you know, stabbed us yeah. all. And before we could even do a thing. And so, uh, another time we had a person, a patient who, all of a sudden started like tripping and she was um, apparently under the influence of PCP. Now PCP Mm -hmm. is hallucinogenic. It's used to, it's a a tranquilizer for elephants. It's very strong. People can become very violent when they're on it. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's stored in the fat cells 
So if you get nervous, stressed, sweat, it can release it into your system and you could go under the influence. So something like that happened. So that was super scary. Or even we have whole families come in and, or, and the the, other, someone in the family is under the influence. I've seen that. So it's, you know, it is very, it can be dangerous. (laughs) So it can be dangerous. So that's a challenge for me. Oh my God. You saying that triggered a memory for me when I was in the office one time and law enforcement had come to pick up a kit, hadn't called. I'm like, you got to call previously, but, and it's like 2am just started banging on the door out of nowhere, banging on the door, banging on the door. And I instantly hit, that's just my instinct. I was like, absolutely not. Who is out there banging on the door? I didn't go look through the hole. I was in a to leave from the back of the office. So then maybe like two minutes goes by. Then I hear banging on the window, pounding, boom, 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 boom on the window. I'm oh, like, oh, wow. Out from the outside yeah. of the building? Yes. On the, on the outside of the building in the, oh my God. In the, inter- the interview room was window. In the middle of the night? 2 a.m. Oh my gosh. No boom, one's around. Boom, boom, boom. Banging on the window. I'm hiding in the supply closet. I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, I was like so terrified. And I just stayed there and stayed there until it stopped. And then I called security and then security had come and ended up being law enforcement wanting to pick up a kit, but had never called the office phone, had never called the cell phone. Okay, that is not the only time that's happened. That has happened other <gasps> times. And talk about scaring the shit out of the nurses. Yeah. My God. Yeah. 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 I was like, I don't even want anyone to know I'm in here. So I wasn't about to go look through the whole nothing. Yeah, no uh, kidding. I was terrified. And I think that was back also when the panic button didn't work in the back. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hide out in this closet where all the supplies are. So if I need to fit for myself, like all these supplies are back here. Oh. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is so, yeah, it's so scary. So, I mean, again, you know, we don't just see victims. We see others as well. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, there's some challenges, unfortunately. Like you said, forensic nursing has a really high turnover. These are very hard units to staff. I know there's a nursing shortage across the board, but when it comes to forensics, it's it's probably 20 times worse. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. So that's, that's another challenge. Can you think of any other challenges? Getting a clear and concise story from our victims can be a challenge sometimes. They come in, sometimes they're still in shock. They have a hard time recalling the series of events. They might still be under the influence, like you said, PCP. Maybe they're still drunk. I had that the other night. The patient was still drunk. She was falling asleep during the interview. She was falling asleep during the exam. She was still able to consent. She kept saying, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do this. And I kept reiterating to her, you know, you can come back tomorrow for the exam when you have more energy. But she kept being very uh, persistent that she wanted to do it now. So we we were able to get through it, mm-hmm. but, um, that's a huge challenge too. Yeah. And I've had that, like, uh, we've a patient that's been, you know, like very cooperative and we've completed a exam and all is, you know, good. Everything's gone well. And then it's time for them to leave and they don't want to leave. And then it's a, a switch flip on the personality and yeah. securities had to been called for, for stuff like that. Also, I don't know if you've had anything like that. Mm, yeah, no, I've heard of it. 
I have never personally, but I've definitely heard stories about that. Because sometimes patients will say that they're okay and they have somewhere to go and they're fine, but in reality, they don't have somewhere and to go. And that's the problem is they don't have somewhere to go. That's why we love having our um, our advocates that can help find, um, you know, housing, temporary housing for our patients, you know. You know, I know I've mentioned our advocates before, but I don't think we've gone into depth about how crucial they are to our whole process. Oh, yeah. We, um, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Like, maybe we could figure that out and, you know, we could talk about that and, our, and also our challenges with the advocates. I just want to mm-hmm. say one thing before. Let's talk about our advocates. our advocates. And yeah, these are just them. incredible souls. Obviously, they're advocates. And so they're advocates for victims of crime. And they are, we call them anytime we have a victim of domestic violence or sexual assault they provide the victims with a variety of resources of you know shelter transportation if they need groceries you know gift cards there's so many things they supply us with our food you know they stock our units with snacks clothing water they're just so many things that they do and they're just really there to advocate for the patient to be a voice for them when they don't feel like they can speak up for themselves they're just a really invaluable comfort for the patient they, they yeah they're so amazing and they just really yeah they're just really there to handhold the patient and um, support them through the process because they know it's very traumatizing. And a lot of them have been uh, victims of assault, you know, themselves. And, you know, so that's another thing. I will say that's a challenge Um, I have come across that triggered something. So a male advocate, which not knocking them on any, by any means, because any advocate is a good advocate, but a challenge I have come across is having a male advocate for a female sexual assault victim, and they don't always want that. Yeah, the, I haven't come across that, but I could see why that could be a little uncomfortable, especially if you were just sexually assaulted yeah. by someone of the same gender. I could see how that might be um, challenging. Yeah, or a male sane nurse, a male forensic nurse examiner for a, a female victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. I I did have we did have one of those before, and. Um, and he was fabulous at what he did, but it also, I think it was a little bit of a challenge. And you know what, one challenge I've had though, is, um, the turnover in staff. Some have been there forever. And then there's a turnover in staff. I think just because a lot of time it, they, their, um, compensation isn't that great and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, that being said, um, I have not been able to get yeah. an advocate sometimes. So th- those are some of the biggest challenges I would say, you know, when it comes to patient care, but I will say that also, um, a challenge, one of the challenges is supplies. You know, we, we, it's, we don't get really funding. Um, you know, it's more of a community service. I would say what we do for a lot of people, like the extra exams and, um, that we, we provide. So there's reimbursement, um, for sexual assault exams, sometimes domestic violence exams, depending on where you work, but sometimes there's no reimbursement whatsoever for, um, you know, for, you know, other exams. And so we have an expense, you know, when we see our patients, you know, we have to, you know, we, we have supplies that we need to, take care of them. And so when we don't have those supplies or we're limited on supplies because we're limited on funding, um, you're kind of working like, you know, I know that personally myself and 
other nurses uh, bought things ourselves. You know, we've bought, um, (laughs) we've had to buy, um, you know, like paper for the copier before, you know, so things like that. So that being said, that's one of the challenges that we, we face. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that this is a community service, because that's exactly what it is. If you're in a unit that's attached to a hospital, I think it's a little bit more difficult because then you're at the mercy of the hospital and a hospital is a business. So if this part of the business is not bringing in income, but constantly generating expenses, that part of the business is the first to get cut if it's not essential to that hospital. So when it comes to forensic nursing, community support is such a huge deal. So if you guys see flyers around wherever you're located and it's an event for forensic nursing or for domestic violence or to support your victims or for sexual assault awareness, whatever it may be, I really encourage you to go to it, to support it, to donate to your local forensics unit, to spread the word. Because when the community shows support and really rallies behind these units, hospitals will see that there really is a need for these things and that there has to be a safe space for victims to go and there has to be that specialized care because it's such an important part of the process. And I just think it does wonders for our community when they know that they're supported, they feel safe, and should something go wrong, they know that they can go somewhere for that specialized compassionate care. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, y'all, that wraps up this week's episode of Forensic Nurse Files. Thanks for sticking with us. And again, if you could do us the favor of leaving us a rating, dropping us an email, ForensicNurseFilesPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook at ForensicNurseFiles, and then also on TikTok, ForensicNurseFilesPod. But until next week, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time. Toodles!